This morning we have with us special guests, Dan and Lynn Hollingsworth. Now, for many of you, that means something, and for some of you who are newer, that name doesn't ring any bells. So I just want to take a few moments to introduce. All right, so in the front row here, they're just exchanging hellos. But um, want to just say that from 2006 to 2014, Dan and Lynn were very active here at LEFC. Dan was a professor at LBC and the chairman of our elder board. And then Dan helped facilitate a time of transition and um, even was part of the committee that brought Pastor Tony here to be considered for full-time staff. Dan and Lynn currently live in Spain, where they work with churches, elder boards, believers, and non-believers, and I am so grateful to be able to welcome Dan to teach this morning. Let's welcome Dan. Hey, it's great to be home. It really is. It's good to be here. We came back for son's wedding. Uh, got son married off on the West Coast a couple weeks ago, July 8th. It's good to be back. It's very, very good to be back. Let's, uh, let's go to Acts chapter 28. The ushers have some Bibles. If you don't have one, please take one. We love it when you take the Word of God home with you. That's a good thing. So if you don't have a Bible, they'd be happy to, to give one to you. And are we ready to go here? Okay. There we go. You've been studying the book of Acts. That's good. That's great. How, many, how long? Nine months? Ten months? I don't know how long Tony said. Something like that. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see Tony. We Skyped. And so he uh, filled me in on the series, and that was great. It coincides with our church just outside of Madrid. It's the church, they call it Camarma, because that's the little community where the church meets. And uh, actually, the last six months, we've been in the book of Acts too. So when uh, Tony contacted me, he said, hey, Dan, you're coming through. Would you do Acts 28? Well, so happens the last Sunday before we left to come here, I preached on Acts 28. Por supuesto, en español. Entonces, le he dicho que vamos a predicar en español. No vamos a hacerlo en inglés, sino en español. Y a ver cómo responde la congregación. A ver. ¿Os parece o no? Come on, all you students studying Spanish, did you get it? <laughs> I told Tony I'd send him the outline right away, and I'd, I'd preach it all in Spanish and see how you guys did. So, <laughs> you ever want an excuse to sleep in church? You know, that, <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great chapter. We uh, enjoyed it in Spanish, and it works in English, too. We are in chapter 28, and although we're going to look at several things, we will focus especially on the last half of this chapter. This is a chapter that when I started to read it, uh, a lot of people preach it as they had hard hearts, and I'll show you what all that means. But really, when I read this chapter, what I saw were some men and women who claimed to be people of the Word and claimed to have everything together and claimed to be very correct religiously. Sound familiar? And they had diabetes, spiritual diabetes. You know what diabetes is, right? Uh, he just, uh, Matt just offered to give you caffeine and sugar. And people like me are going, don't do it. <laughs> Come to the seminar, but bring you no sugar or something. <laughs> Why? Because diabetes is something that's really serious, isn't it? And here in the chapter, we're going to see people with spiritual, spiritual diabetes. You've been in the book of Acts. And it's been a great book for you, I'm sure. Remember this one, however many months ago it was? 
Acts 1.8, you got to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And how many of, how many of you have been in Jerusalem? Okay, so it was your job to evangelize Jerusalem. And how many have been in Judea? Come on, raise your hand, Diane, that too. <laughs> Obviously, what he's talking about is you need to be witnesses right where you are, correct? Praise God for those tents out there and the prayer walk around your neighborhood because you've got to do We have got to do that. I am not an evangelist, but I've been on the mission field most of my career. But I'm not an evangelist, honest. I'm not a church planner, okay? But I have the responsibility to be a witness. My God's big. My God is big. My God has restored my life, and He can restore your life. I don't have to be an evangelist. I just have to be a witness. Which means, first, I have to experience it firsthand. And then God says, Dan, your story is different than everybody else's, so just tell your story. Don't try to preach the way somebody else did it. Just tell your story. And that's being a witness. First, where I live... I did ask them how come they didn't have a map for Spain for my neighborhood. So it, it's on that list, you know. Uh, it's, it's up there. Jerusalem, Judea, we're on the ends of the earth, okay? The Romans literally thought Spain was the end of the earth. Okay, you fall off afterwards. There's a place up in northwestern Spain that's called Finisterre, which means in Latin, end of the earth. <laughs> they literally thought. And anybody who got in trouble with the law would head to the Rock of Gibraltar, hang a right, and go to the Spanish city of Cadiz, which is the most desolate, barren place on the face of the earth, and it was where all the murderers and thieves and everybody else went at that time. It was where Jonah was going, yeah, to get away from God, because God didn't live past Gibraltar. Interesting, huh? So, go to the ends of the earth. Come help us pray for our neighborhood, right? And we have missionaries here in, on the other ends of the earth. So we're, we're supposed to be going to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts shows us, not just Paul, but the other disciples, as they do this thing of going out being witnesses. And they meet up with opposition and challenges, and it's a tough one. It's a tough one. So as I'm reading chapter 28, the last chapter in Acts, okay, this is really weird to end your book with a problem. But it is a problem, and he ends the book this way, Luke does. He talks about what's called here in our country and other places, the silent killer. Verse 27 says this, the people's heart has grown dull, their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed. So those of you who have experienced diabetes, by the way, it's not just for old people with no hair, okay? It's also for young people, and children have it, correct? Now, the doctor scared me one time with a blood count, right? And he says, if you don't do something, what happens with diabetes? What starts to happen? The nerves get weak. You start to lose feeling. Things stop functioning. <laughs> Various things stop functioning. Uh, it's not pretty. Eventually, they start to lose their eyesight. The hearing goes away. They have serious problems. The problem is they tell us that about 56% of people who are diagnosed with di type 2 diabetes had no clue they were even close to it. And they go to the doctor, and they get shocked. So I'm what they call pre. The doctor got there and said, if you don't do something, you're going to be one. So what do they do? They say, you're pre, you're whatever. What do they do? They make you take a test, <laughs> a lot of tests. 
they start poking you and, and doing all kinds of weird things to you, right? So you're taking these tests, and the test, when presented with the truth through the test, your reaction reveals your heart condition. Um, I went home and told my wife, no more sugar. And that was four years ago, and I, ha I don't do sugar now. It took me about a month of getting over the habit. <laughs> and now, honest, you can shove ice cream in, my, in front of my face, and I won't take it. But I had to react to the hearing the truth. And when we hear the truth spiritually, we're given the opportunity to react. And our reaction reveals whether our heart has become hard or not. Our reaction to the test reveals whether our heart has become hard or not. Okay, let's go to Acts 28. I've got to set the, give you the setting here. Chapter 28, here's the context of it, okay? Once safely on shore, we, who's we? You guys have been in Acts, so you already know. It's Paul and who else? Who's writing? Luke. Who else is with him? I don't know, but others. <laughs> okay. We found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Uh, they had s'mores together. <laughs> Come on, it's a fire. Right? They just, what had just happened to them? Shipwreck. He got wet. It's normal. They built a bonfire. Oh, good. Get out the hot dogs, the marshmallows. Let's have a good bonfire here. And something happens in this paragraph. What happens? You know the story? A viper, a snake, a venomous snake grabs onto his, his wrist. And the people all say, murderer. God caught up with him. And Paul takes it over the fire, you know, barbecues the snake and lets it fall off. Off goes the snake. So then they say, he's a god. He didn't die. Paul said, would you people just sit down and just, just get back to your s'mores. Let me explain something here to you. <laughs> if you read through this text, you will find that Paul, as he's transitioning to, lay, to, to Rome, he's headed to Rome. That was his goal. But he's in transition. He hasn't gotten there yet. He is living a life of extreme confidence. Chapter 27, with a shipwreck, we're going to die. Paul says, just hang with me and you'll be fine. No, no, we're going to die, Paul. No, just stay here. We'll be okay. I mean, talk about trust. Uh, we came in on Friday uh, from, the, from the West Coast, from Seattle, and uh, they were canceling flights like crazy on the West Coast, anything headed to this area because of the storm. And there was a long list of canceled flights. We honestly... <laughs> Nick wrote me and said, so does somebody else need to preach? This was on Friday. <laughs> I said, well, you better pray because it might be. <laughs> it's kind of a long way away. And uh, so we were praying a lot, got to the airport, and they were, they were, you know, letting us get ready to get on the flight. And then just as they're ready to start boarding the flight, they come on uh, because of the weather on the East Coast. And I'm going, oh, great, here goes. They're going to cancel this flight or something. Fortunately, the pilot or somebody was smart enough to ask for a reroute. So we flew up over Canada and then down. <laughs> and they did say, oh, by the way, the last hour is going to be on a little on the rough side. So, you know, people were pretty, pretty scared about it. It was about 10 minutes of really rough. But otherwise, we got in. We were fine. I know about being on flights. I've crossed the Atlantic. I, I couldn't tell you how many times. I've been on rough flights, okay? So, yes, I worry about them. 
But you know what? If God has convinced you you're going someplace, you have this amazing confidence. And that was Paul. He's in a shipwreck. He's got a snake hanging on his arm. And he's like, no, God's got this under control. I was like, <laughs> I'd be freaking out. But he's got, and then God's got this thing under control. I've got confidence because I have trust in a big God. Remember, he's supposed to be a witness. Why do you think God allows all of us to get turbulence in life? Not, we don't have to be the perfect Christian and not have any fear, even though the plane's doing this, okay? I got fear. I pray, Lord, get your hand underneath that airplane, please. <laughs> Praise God for engineers and pilots, but put your hand under this thing. <laughs> yeah, that's normal. But the confidence that even if I have fear, I keep on going, that's what the world needs to see. The world's rough. Life is rough. They need to see people with, well, I don't want snakes, but they need to see people with rough waters saying, I trust God. The second thing, though, here, it's interesting. Verse 11, after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Why in the world did Luke include that? I mean, who cares, right? Well, this god with twin heads was the god of marooned sailors, shipwrecked sailors. So obviously what they did was they stuck it on there saying, be happy, God, so we can get to our next place. On one hand, Paul showed them trust in the real God. On the other hand, it didn't matter that he got on a pagan ship. And it reminds me that we need to go where the pagans are. I know we live in a pagan society. I get it. I read the news too, okay? I don't like what's going on either. But you know what? God has trusted me to be alive right now to testify to the people right now. Did you ever think about that? I don't like all the movements going on either. They gross me out. They gross me out. I get upset that they're ruining society. And God asked, Dan, you be here right now to be a witness to those people. To love those people right where they are in all of their stupidity. Forgive me, but that's what it is. And to love them anyway. Not to condemn them, but to say Christ is the answer. Period. Amen? That's what Paul did. Then look what he did. We put in at Syracuse, stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Rechium. The next day the south wind came up, and the following day we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we went to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Apius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and took courage. And then the next verse, he gets to Rome. Would you please underline verse 15, that last phrase, thanked God and took courage. That's what missionaries do. We are back here because you have no idea how grateful we are for LAFC. Say, yeah, Dan, because they support you. No. <laughs> because you're an example of faithfulness to the task. And every time we come here, yes, we thank God for you, but we thank God and the word there is to grab, to just grab hold of. It literally is to grab courage so that you can go on with it. Where was Paul going? Rome. What was going to happen in Rome? Trial and? I'm convinced Paul knew 
that he was going to go there and testify, but that he was also going to die. It's, it's the end of his life. He knows death is probably what waits him in Rome. He knows God's going to take him to Rome and then die. How would you like that? Great, I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to die at the other end. Good. Yeah, so he needed courage. He needed the believers to let him say, hey, man, thanks for praying. And take courage to go back to the battle. If you ever want to know what to pray for missionaries, do that. And the next time missionaries come here and they say, hey, thank you, don't take it lightly. What we're really doing, all of us, is grabbing courage <laughs> to get back and get back to the task. A year ago, I was here telling you about a church fighting to the death. And this year, it's now a church with normal church problems, <laughs> which doesn't sound real good, but it's a whole lot better than where we were. Because you prayed, because thank God, but we needed courage. Why do, we sh why do missionaries keep showing up? Is it to always get money? No, you know what? I, sure, you got to pay the bills, but you know what? Not, most of the time, you're walking through here looking for courage to keep going. Paul took courage. That's what you pray for your missionaries. Pray for them. Now, I don't, I don't know what missionaries here from LAFC you support. There's a board right out here in the hall with a prayer guide, which you should read. Of, I don't know all the people on there, but I look at that thing, and Nick even this week sent it to me, and I'm reading I'm going, wow, I need to pray more. These missionaries can't even name the country they're going to. I can tell you to come lay on the beaches in Spain if you want. But they can't even tell you the places, some of these missionaries, where they work because it's so dangerous. Tell me, people, what do those missionaries need? Courage. Courage. We work in an unreached country, meaning the church has no influence. Meaning, you want to know what this country is going to look like in 30 years? Come over, I'll show you. Europe is postmodern pagan they don't even talk about it guess what it's what everybody is I mean, you want to talk about sin I'll, we can show you sin if they want to see it i don't want to see it but it's there we need courage to be witnesses in those contexts you know i i, I look through that list and i go oh lord man i've got the list here because i was just i was reading it this week going lord they're in thailand they're in papua new guinea these missionaries are completing the book of acts <laughs> And we need to pray for whoever your favorite one is and get two or three more, okay? And pray for courage because that's what missionaries need more than anything else. You promise me you'll do it? All right. Do it. The information's right out there. The missionaries really are, are living out the book of Acts. I love this word. It's called glocal. It actually came out of the business world, but missions now talks about it as well. Think global, act local. That's what, again, those tents are out there. You're acting local. But see, this text is global. <laughs> this is Rome, okay? So you're thinking global. You're realizing, thank, courage, pray, witness, and you're doing it right here. That's what missionaries are doing as well. Okay, let's go back to the text. What happened in the text? We're down in verse 17. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was, I was arrested in Jerusalem, handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty 
of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who has come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking about this sect, or add in the word cult. Uh, Paul was concerned, and there was a tremendous curiosity. Sometimes think about that text. The Jews who had accused him and wanted him dead didn't even have the integrity to send charges or a letter to Rome, and it took Paul over six months to get there. They were cowards. <laughs> and that's often what gossips are, by the way, or slanders. People who slander others, are, they're just cowards. They won't, they won't even show up. So there's curiosity with the Jews here. They're going, well, we didn't hear anything about that, but we're curious because we know you're part of a cult. Now, Lynn and I understand this because in Spain, we're part of a cult. You didn't know you were supporting missionaries that work with a cult. Yeah, you're supporting missionaries that work with a cult. Uh-huh. We're a very dangerous cult. Did you know that? We take people away in the summertime and brainwash them. Did you know that? Yeah, it's called camp. <laughs> uh, we live in a country where Protestant evangelical is considered a cult by most people. And the schools that we send our children two years ago would do seminars on how to protect your children from a cult. And our church was number one on the list. <laughs> and they do documentaries on the television, on the public stations, that talk about the cults. And they show evangelical churches in America, and they say, see how dangerous it is? And they try to get, of course, they show the really weird ones. But anyway, we understand because the Spanish culture and the Spanish Catholic church calls us a cult. And people are afraid of us. They are afraid of us because we're part of a, a sect, a cult. And we do the same thing as Paul. We say to them, well, why don't we get together and meet you? So that's what he does in verse 23. See it here, verse 23? This sounds so much like Spain. This is just what we do. So they arranged they arrange to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the pulpits, from, from the prophets, not the pulpit, from the, from the prophets. So he's using the Old Testament to tell them about the gospel. He didn't have the New Testament. It wasn't written yet, okay? So he's using the Old Testament. Hey, did you see Moses? Moses said this. Did you ever think about that? And, and did you read Isaiah? I, Isaiah's read, writing here about the servant and the suffering. Did you ever think about that in Christ? So he's explaining that all to them. Remember who Paul was. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was this intellectual guy, okay? And he could really argue the case. So he's arguing the case, telling him, look, this is truth. This is the truth. This is what you are looking for. This is what you are hoping for. This is the truth. And they went from the morning until the evening. So none of this one-hour service stuff. They were like all day long. Yeah, bring your lunch because we're staying. Which meant they were honestly curious. They wanted to know. 
They wanted to know. So how did they respond? Well, here it is, the next one. I'll get that one. There we go. Look at verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said. Amen? But hang on. <laughs> hang on. They were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. Okay, we got two groups. Got it? Verse 25. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. In a minute we'll get to 27. There was confusion and disagreement among them. Some of them said, Hey, you're right on. Someone said, No, that can't be true. And they began to disagree amongst themselves. Anytime you end up with confusion and disagreement, I will question if it's really the Spirit of God working through you. Because when the Spirit of God works, He doesn't bring confusion and disagreement. If, 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 if the hearts are open. Okay? If the hearts are open and the Holy Spirit shows up, what comes out of it? Come on, you know the verse. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Just everything that this church is, right? Oh, come on, I've been in church a long time. <laughs> when the Spirit is present, I get amazingly patient with you and you with me. When the Spirit of God is present, it's amazing what we put up with because you're my brother and sister. Come on, you're in family. Do you disown your family every time you have a disagreement? You'd like to, <laughs> but do you do it? No. You never have tension in your family? I, I can introduce you to mine if you want. <laughs> That's normal part of being family is tension. But when the Spirit is present, love, joy, peace, patience. And when it's not, confusion and disagreement, and that's what's going on here. Jump down to 30 and 31. Look at this. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in Rome in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. When we follow the Spirit of God and have open hearts, we become bold. Oh, didn't we just talk about courage? Yeah. And we see this boldness, this courage coming out because the Spirit of God is at work and we're not creating confusion and disagreement. So why did they not respond well? You know, why did it happen? And verse 27 is the key. Here we go. This people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. They had spiritual diabetes. Can you imagine this conversation? He's sharing the Word of God. Have you ever done this with your neighbor? Share the Word of God, Word of God, Word of God. Oh, and by the way, dear neighbor, your heart's hard, and your ears are shut, and your eyes are blind. You're just blind. I mean, the reaction you'd probably get would be the same, wouldn't it? <laughs> Paul had the, I don't know what he had, but he had something that allowed him to just tell the truth to these Jewish people. It's interesting, the adjective that goes with heart is this, bachuna, fat, 
thick and feeling. It's, get, it's what you get when you eat too much McDonald's, okay? <laughs> Apply it to the spiritual life. We're all wonderful Christians, and when the only food you're eating is junk food, your heart gets fat. It gets thick. You become unfeeling. You start to get a hard heart. The adjective that goes with ears is this one, barrios, heavy, sluggish. I got big ears, but I guarantee you, Paul was talking about ones that are a lot heavier. They were heavy. They were sluggish. They didn't want to hear anymore. Uh, Matt was talking about marriage, right? It's what happened to husbands and wives who are madly in love and they just get married. Now, don't you walk up to them and tell them 30 years from now they won't be in love because Lynn and I are at 36 and a half and we have more fun now than we did when we first got married. And I know the young couples don't believe me, but it's true. <laughs> because the heart gets thick and the ears get sluggish. And your wife says, would you? And somehow there's this magic dial on all the guy's ears, and they just kind of go down, turn the volume down, whether they have earring aids or not, and say, oh, did you say something? <laughs> Don't look at me that way. I know what happens in your marriage. <laughs> the adjective that goes with eyes is this one. They're down. They're down against. They're shut down. It's like, I don't see anything. Okay, so I'm a fan of Hogan's Heroes, okay? I got all the, I've got them all memorized, right? Come on, what does Sergeant Schultz say? I see nothing. <laughs> right? The young people are going, what? <laughs> and even if you show them the series, they're still going to go, huh? <laughs> ah, that's all right. Their eyes were down. This is more than just a hard heart. This is a hard heart that has started to create physical symptoms that need help. These people have shut down. They have become so insensitive that they hear the truth to their face and they don't hear it. He demonstrates it. I don't know. Did he write on a napkin? I don't know, but they saw it and they didn't see it because their hearts were so hard. They the Jewish community then had a family history of problems. Luke is actually quoting Isaiah chapter 6. In Matthew 13, you'll find this text, and in that text, you'll see that Jesus was trying to tell them the truth, and they wouldn't listen, so what did He do? He started to tell them the truth in parables. You know, like the one where the young rebellious son takes his inheritance, goes and wastes all, comes back and gets to have a big banquet. Dad's there with arms open. Isn't that a beautiful story? But you've read Tim Keller and others that have helped, us, helped remind us it's not about the boy coming back. It's about the older son who was there the whole time and was jealous because he didn't get a banquet. And why do we know that? Because the next verse says, and the Pharisees were ready to kill him. Well, I don't know if Chip's here. There's Chip. Chip, good thing that we don't advise the patients that don't get it to kill their... <laughs> You know, that's, that's just an amazing story. The Pharisees hear this parable, they realize he's telling them the truth, and their solution to the doctor who told them the truth is want to kill him. Aren't, you appreciate that, right? <laughs> that's what happened, people. Paul told them the truth, and they said, let's get him. <laughs> wow, what a reaction. 
hard hearts. Look at John 12 real quick. I just want to read one verse or two for you. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. You can go back and look at this later on your own, but John chapter 12, a really sad text. Verse 37. Jesus has been doing all kinds of miracles, okay? Verse 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in Him. Jump ahead. Verse 42. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in Him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Whoa, that's sad. That spiritual diabetes. The doctor told them what to do. And for fear what people would say, they didn't do anything. And they kept their hard hearts. Please note that this text is talking about religious leaders who were committed to the Word of God. Did you hear me? These hard hearts were people committed to the Word of God. Do not criticize those Jewish leaders for not knowing the Word of God. They knew it inside and out. When Jesus talked to them, He didn't even have to quote anything. They just, he would say, it was, it, you know that it is written, because they already knew it. They had the Word of God down. Remember, I, I was eight years at Lancaster Bible College. I know about teaching Bible, okay? I teach at a Bible Institute in Spain. I know about teaching Bible. These guys knew the Word of God. So what was the problem? What was the problem? Hard hearts, diabetes. They had the knowledge. They didn't have the heart. That's sad. They knew the truth, but they wouldn't listen to it. They wouldn't listen to it. There are some consequences if we do not deal with illnesses when they are pointed out to us. What are the consequences? Verse 27, the second half of verse 27. Look here. Loss of opportunity. For this people's heart, as I said in 27, became calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. God offered to heal them. <laughs> God says, you got diabetes? I'll heal you. But you got to do this. And they refused to listen, and they missed the opportunity to be healed. 28, therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. God does not choose really educated, smart people to do His plan. He chooses humble people. He chooses humble people who are willing to say, my heart's open, God, do what you want. The Jews were given the task to tell the world about the Messiah. They refused to do it, so He said, okay, give me the baton. It's going to go to these pagan dogs, like you like to call them, the Gentiles. And I'll let them do it. Oh, they lost the opportunity to participate in God's great work. Lynn and I never thought we would go back to Spain. But when God began to tell us to go back, it took us actually two years, okay, to understand God's will. That's how long it took us. But when God says, move, move. Because if you don't, 
he'll give it to somebody else. I call it the Esther principle. <laughs> Esther, you don't know, but God, what God puts you here for this reason. So when God tells you to move, move. Because if you don't, He doesn't need you. He'll find somebody else. And He'll give it to the humble and let them go. Third thing, and this I don't have time this morning, but talking about the loss of rest, I want you to mark down Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. We're actually going to look at a, a text here as to what we can do. But Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, God literally says to us, the believers, there is a rest for you. And He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about now as well as heaven. He's saying, you're my children, I want you to rest. But you're going to miss the rest because of unbelief because your hearts are hard. Now, the author of Hebrews, like a good doctor, God, is telling us you can have rest, you can have health, but don't harden your heart. And I'm going to give you something to help you. I'm going to give you something that will test your heart. Do you know what it is? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You want to see it? Hebrews 4.12. We're getting close here to the end. Look at Hebrews 4.12. Or do you know by heart? Do you know by heart? What's it say? The Word of God is living and active and it's sharper than a what? I don't have to explain that in Spain. Because in Toledo, Spain is where they invented the Roman short sword with two edges that were sharp. And they get that. Yeah, what's the sword doing? Yeah. Look at verse 13. I bet you never went on to that one. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Doesn't that sound like going to the doctor? They always make you take off your clothes. <laughs> You're like, right? You're naked and you're going, punch, 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 right? Chip doesn't do that, I know. <laughs> or do you? Yeah, look at that. You're laid bare. Doesn't that sound like a doctor to you? It's just that he's using a really big knife, okay? A sword with two edges. Why? Because he's getting down to the, what's really inside that you can't see, to see what's there, to dig deep down inside. If we don't immerse ourselves in the Word of God, we can't avoid a hard heart because I can't open up my heart right now spiritually and say, oh, look, it's starting to harden right there in that corner. I can't do it. I'm too dumb. And so I have to immerse myself in this Word because in my foolishness, the Word begins to say, Dan, did you see that? Did you see what was going on in your... Your motive wasn't as pure as you said it was. You're maybe not as smart as you think you are. The Word is amazing, and I don't, I don't know how it always works. A year and a half ago in the church there in Madrid, we were in a serious conflict, and the biggest problem was I began to realize that our really good friends that are in the church were part of the side that were not following the Word of God. And at that point, I'm going, Lynn, I think we have to put God and His Word above friendship, 25 years' worth of friendship. It took us three months to pull the trigger. 
because we had to go home and keep our mouths shut and immerse ourselves in the Word. And I honestly will not point to one verse where God gave me a vision, none of that. It's just that three months, I mean hours, I, I'm not exaggerating. Lynn would walk in and say, hey, Dan, did you see this verse? And i go, hey, did you see that verse? Three months of immersing ourselves, and at the end of three months, we cried, but we had the confidence to stand up and say, the Word of God says this, and we're sticking with the Word of God. Do you know how hard that is? Without the Word of God, I... let the Word of God soften your heart so that you can enjoy the rest and let God work. Some of you know my saying that I like, right? When man works, man works. When man prays, God works. Hudson Taylor. Yeah. Because too often the time, we're trying to do all the work. And we're not immersed here. We quote the one verse we know. And we go on doing our foolish things and pay the price. And we do not rest. We have anxiety. We get depressed. All of the above. And I know there's other reasons. I'm not analyzing all cases, okay? I'm just saying the Word of God softens our hearts. So to conclude, what can we do? I like to go to Hebrews chapter 3. Since you're in Hebrews, let's just end there in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, and then a proverb and we're done. Hebrews chapter 3 is this. Consider Christ. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Here it's fix your thoughts. In chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it's fix your eyes. Okay, we got you covered. Fix your eyes, fix your thoughts. Look at Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your thoughts on Jesus. Second, 7 to 19, it gives us a warning. Don't harden your heart. But look at verse 13. I love this one. This is really a cool verse. 13, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The word there for encourage is the word parakaleo. Ever heard that word before? Yes. John uses it to refer to the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 3.13 says, be a little Holy Spirit to one another. Because the word literally means to come alongside of, to walk alongside of. So here's the verse saying, okay, one way to guard against a hard heart is walk alongside of one another, which means you have to let that happen, by the way. For some of you who are isolated, you've got to let a believer walk alongside of you. You walk alongside of each other, and you do it once a week, right, in church. That's what the verse says, Correct? <laughs> What's it say? Oh, July 30th, 2017, because that's today. Wasn't that sneaky? They said today. That means whatever day is, is valid. The, ne the necessity of fellowship to walk alongside of, to be close enough. As a pastor, I've seen so many Christians fall, and invariably, although they had friends, although they came to church, they didn't have somebody close enough to say, Brother, your heart's getting hard. Sister, I, I don't know what you're hearing, but it's kind of suggesting that your heart's a little bit on the hard side. You know, your response to that other believer shows a little bit of hardness there. 
Whoa, that's really direct, isn't it? None of this passive-aggressive stuff. You love your brother, you say, brother, I love you. Your heart's getting hard. I know it was unfair. I know it was unjust, but your heart's getting hard. When you pray for Spain, pray for the hearts of the people, okay? But more pray for my heart. Because the day that my heart goes hard, I'm useless. So pray for my heart that it's soft. Walk alongside of us. And then to end with the proverb that you all know. Proverbs. You know Proverbs, right? What does it say about your heart? There it is. Proverbs 4, 23. You know that one, right? You use it with the young people to tell them to keep pure lives. I got news for young people. Remind your parents that it's also written to them, okay? Because it says guard your heart. Why? Because when your heart goes hard, you stop hearing the Word of God, and you stop seeing what God's doing, and you miss the rest. (laughs) If the doctor tells you you have diabetes and you do nothing, what do they call you? (laughs) Dead. (laughs) I like that answer, but I was going to say fool. Dead is better. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. You got diabetes, your numbers are way up there. Ah, I'm going to keep going my way. And we're all at your funeral, correct? So how about spiritual diabetes? We're not talking about the people on the street, we're talking about believers. That's why as we sing this last song, we want to pray, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Don't let my heart get hard, Lord. Don't let it get hard. Lord, thank you so much for your word. May we hear it always. May we be sensitive to your spirit. May we enjoy the rest that you intended for us. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Heavenly Father, life can be really, really rough. It can be unfair. It can be tragic. But Father, in the midst of all of that turbulation, in the midst of all of that bouncing around the skies, hear my prayer, Lord. Speak truth to my heart and keep my heart soft. That's our prayer this week. Easy to talk about on Sunday, tough to live during the week. But Lord, may this week be a week of allowing your spirit to touch the hard parts of our hearts, softening them, treating us so that we become healthy, alive because of your word. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you again for allowing me to share. Have a great week in the Lord. Thank you.